Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Leaders. I'm Sam North. Inspiration is one of the best ways to transform. Conversations with Leaders is a bi-weekly interview with key industry players, CEOs, financial authors, and professional money managers worldwide. Get valuable insights from the people who've seen it all. Are you ready? Here we go. This podcast is for information and education purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice, a personal recommendation or an offer of or solicitation to buy or sell any financial instruments. This material has been prepared without taking into account any particular recipient's investment objectives or financial situation and has not been prepared in accordance with the legal and regulatory requirements to promote independent research. Past performance is not an indication of future results. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Conversations with Leaders, where you can get valuable insights from successful investors and financial leaders worldwide. My name is Sam North, a market analyst at eToro, and I'm happy to be your host today. Behavioral finance is probably one of the most important aspects when it comes to investing. Risks of making making irrational decisions, especially in volatile markets like we witnessed today, can hurt investors greatly. Our guest today is no other than the famous Dan Ariely. Dan is a professor of psychology and behavioral economics and author of the New York Times bestseller, Predictably Irrational. Dan, welcome aboard. How are you? I am very well. Lovely, lovely to be here. Yeah, no, we were just saying before we came on air, it's it's great to to have you on. And we've been looking forward to this for for quite some time. to get us going, and it's it's probably quite a tricky question, but the first question of today is, are markets rational? And I do appreciate that's probably a multi-trillion dollar question, but I'm so intrigued <clears throat> yeah. to see what you think. No. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there's a, the, the answer is very simple. You know, and, and the kind of two, two big questions, you can say, um, is the absolute level of the market reflect something uh, realistic and that's one one question and you can say is volatility explained by a rational model and it's very easy to to show that volatility is not you know that you look you look at the volatility and sometimes the the market goes up let's say four or five percent or go down four or five percent you say what happened like (laughs) in what way is this news justified or think about it differently Imagine that um, we took the news of one of those days that had uh, really high ups or high lows, and uh, we asked people, said, if the news was this and this, what would happen to the market? Um, you know, if people say, oh, yes, yes, if that was the news, the market will go up. No, it's, you know, it just happens for all kinds of reasons. And, of course, um, they have lots of consequences. So that's that's kind of one answer. There's no... There's no rationality for volatility. And the other thing is because we're talking about social science is bubbles, both the ups and the bubbles and the downs of the bubbles are one of the easiest things to create in the lab. Imagine you put 20 people in the lab and you say, hey, there's this fictitious asset that I'm going to sell and you can buy it and you can sell it and you'll make real money. Very quickly, you get bubbles. You get something starts going up People go on the bandwagon, it goes way too high. People start selling, people get off the bandwagon and sell. We, we have this tremendous tendency 
to buy on the increase and sell on the decrease. It's it's a terrible tendency, right? It's, but it's it's kind of uh, you know you could you could see where the where the tendency is coming from. It's coming from thinking that other people know something. So in the same way, you see a long queue, a long line for something. You say, oh, this must be a good restaurant or good whatever. The same thing we do on the ups and on the downs, and we really hurt ourselves. So so so. I don't think there's any evidence that the market are rational. Uh, there's some beliefs that the market are rational, and I think there's evidence that the market are not rational. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people that are listening to that will be thinking, thank you for that explanation. So that crazy move that I saw yesterday or a few weeks ago, that makes me feel a little bit better about myself. Um, I mean, look, there's... Yeah. There's but the way, we did we did a study we did a study um, we did a study where we um, gave people stories uh, after the fact like you know these all these pundits that says oh here's what happened in the market IBM sold stock bought stock this what happened and what we did in the study is that we had a, like a pundit that reported back and they said no you know IBM lost X percent today. And sometimes they say, oh, it's because they sold some of their stocks. Sometimes they say it's because they bought some of the stocks. So they either, we either gave one explanation or the opposite explanation. And uh, these were MBA students. Um, and no matter what the explanation was, they thought, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, we, we have this tremendous capacity to, to look back and say, oh, this story really, really makes sense. Um, but no, the stories often don't make sense. Yeah, no, it's so interesting uh, hearing that that point of view. I mean, look, there's explanations all over the internet for ways to, you know, stop making mistakes and so on. However, investors, yeah. traders continue to make those over and over again. My question to you, Dan, is if investors can be trained to become rational or maybe more rational, and if yes, what are the tools that can potentially help them? So... So let me ask you the following question. Uh, can I train you to behave better in the buffet? Like yes. Imagine a very tempting buffet. And I say, can I tempt you? And, and the answer is it's very tough. It's very tough. When you pass by the French fries or you know, whatever, the chocolate cake, <clears throat> it's very hard not to be tempted. And it's, it's not something that we can easily train. Like, you know, the Dalai Lama can maybe say, oh, you know, I can pass by chocolate cake and not be tempted, but it's really, really hard training. Um, but but what is really easy is just not to go to a buffet. <laughs> like you don't have to, to go to that place. And, and I think the same thing is true for investors. Um, so, um, you know, if you, if you have, I mean, here's the problem. We have some, the stock market is, forget day traders, but mm -hmm. let's think about people who are investing uh, for, for the long term. Uh, you have a view that, you know, Tesla is going to go either up or down, and and you you reason about this and you think about this, right? It's not that you say, oh, you know, let me. No, you 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 read the news, you think about Tesla, you think about uh, the car, electrical car market. You you have some logic, and then and then you buy some stocks of Tesla or another company, and then it it goes up or go down or something happens. Now at that point. Uh, there's an emotion that comes in. And emotion is never a good reason to make a decision. It's just not rational. It's emotional uh, by definition. Uh, but now the emotion can be so strong, gaining or losing, that it overrides your decision. So, so what we need to do is we need to find a way uh, not to get our emotions 
to override our decisions. So how do we do that? First of all, I think that we need to make decisions that are not dependent on the particular uh, stock value at this point. So imagine I'm now thinking about my portfolio and I'm saying, you know what? Um, I don't know if I think that real estate is going to go down. Mm. Uh, I think that uh, tech companies are at the low. I, I have some thoughts. Yeah. Um, and then I create a strategy. And it's important to write down that strategy so we remind ourselves why, why we choose that. Uh, what I don't want to do is open my portfolio first, get either happy because things went down, get depressed because things went down, and, and then make those decisions. No, we want to make the decision in, in the long-term rational thing without getting our emotions involved. So, so what that means that the standard strategy of opening our portfolios, looking at where things are, and then making decisions is not a good idea because we can't avoid having emotions. We either made money or lost money, and that's just terrible. <laughs> On the other hand, what we want to do is we want to think about what is our view of the market. Mm. We want to say, I want to understand my view, and now let me open my portfolio, see where it is, and then think about what, what I want to implement. But, you know, let, let's imagine I have a little bit stock of – I'm use Tesla again – uh, but imagine I have a little bit of st stock of Tesla. I should first start thinking about what's my long-term view of Tesla yeah. before I look at whether compared to yesterday I made some money or lost some money. That's that's not uh, that's not the issue. The issue is our long-term view. So how do we get our long-term view thinking is not getting tempted. A little bit like the buffet. Don't go to a buffet. <laughs> Sit at home. Make a plan for how you want to eat, and then and then go and execute. Yeah, I love the uh, the buffet analogy. I think for a lot of people that will resonate quite well. I mean, one of my favorite sayings of all time when it comes to financial markets, investing, whatever, is that markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. And I saw a podcast mentioning you have dedicated your work to helping people live more sensibly, if not rational lives, which I thought was great. Is understanding that we as humans aren't perfect important? And for example, I'm actually pretty bad at trading fast-paced markets that are really, really volatile. So I avoid them. So is it important for people to focus maybe more on their strengths rather than their shortcomings? So, you know, shortcomings are, it, it, look, it depends on where you can make progress. If there are some shortcomings that you can easily eliminate, it's a great thing. If there's a strength that you can utilize, I'm not too far from a train. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> that noise um by the way usually i i find that noise quite appealing it kind of reminds me that uh kind of thinking about trains give me some some joy but yeah. during during conversations it's not always great um so, so i think i think eliminating bad behavior is very important uh, getting our strength um is very important but but i also think we need to think about how do financial decision-making uh, and investment penetrate the rest of our lives? So right now, we're not talking about professionals. We're not talking about people who are doing this uh, for a living. We're talking about you know, all of us who uh, invest uh, our, our own money, and, and we're thinking you know, how, much, how much of our time do we want to dedicate to that. And, and one of the things we have to think is our well-being. 
you know, life at the end of the day is about uh, enjoying it. It's not, it's not about suffering. And I think there's a real question about to what extent is following the stock market uh, making our lives less enjoyable. So um, I'll give you my own example. Uh, at some point, I had cryptocurrency. And I thought, oh, you know, if I buy a little bit of cryptocurrency, this will be a really interesting way to penetrate the market, to see what's happening. I'll track it. I'll follow it. I'll become more interested. Um, and you know what? It was way too much. <laughs> I did become more interested. I did. I did track it. But the volatility is so high. And it yeah. was so, I was so curious all the time. And I kept on checking it too much. It was not good for my well-being. Because, because of what we call loss aversion. Loss aversion is the idea that when we make money, we're happy. But when we lose money, we're unhappy, but to a much larger extent. The ratio is usually thought about to be two to one. So our, the upside is giving us one unit of happiness. The downside is two units of unhappiness. And, you know, if something fluctuates, you just get a little bit of happiness, lots of misery, a little bit of happiness, lots of misery. It ended up being... Not good. So I, I, yes, I did check things more. <laughs> I was more involved. I, I followed things more, but it was not good for my uh, well-being and so on. So I said, you know, this is just not the market for me. It's it's too volatile. I I check it too often. I'm too curious about it. It wasn't um, a lot of money, but it was substantially enough that that uh, I was I was very curious about it. So. You know, I think I think the same thing goes for investing. Now, if somebody enjoys this volatility and it uh, gives them joy in, in life, then then it's fine. But but to the extent that uh, investing is um, connected with too much uh, heartbreak, uh, let, we need to think about a different strategy. So so to answer your question, I think we need to um, you know eliminate some really bad behavior and then focus on our strength. But we also need to be consistent with our quality of life. And if something is, um, you know, just volatile markets are just getting you more depressed and happy, which I think for most people is the case, maybe maybe get out of very volatile markets because it's, it's also important to, to enjoy life. For sure, for sure. Very well said. Do you, uh, in the sort of the trading world and investing world, when people start out, Sometimes they get advised to do like a personality questionnaire that, that that may then tell them you're going to be more of a pragmatist or a theorist or someone who like an activist that prefers those fast paced markets. Do you buy into all of that or do you think that's just a little bit of a waste of time and you need to get the experience to then really find out where you are best at? Yeah, I, I, I have not seen that these uh, results are very consistent. I think it also depends on the time of life and maybe yeah. time of the year and what else do you have to do? Um, you know, if you're very busy at work and you have a new romantic life, focus on that. Um, <laughs> if if you you know it's it's you have some extra time and you're enjoying the volatility, go for that. I don't think it's just an individual difference. Mm -hmm. I think it's also our time in life and and what do we seem to enjoy? And I think everybody should have kind of a few different strategies and and, and change them over time. I, I, I just haven't seen that those measurements are kind of really consistent over time and say, okay, you are a risk taker. By the way, I did a study once on, on uh, crazy athletes. 
these are athletes, you know, they jump from all kinds of places and, and uh, ride bikes and all kinds of things. And you would think that those are real risk takers. But I looked at the risk taking in the stock market, not risk takers at all. Mm. Right. It's not that we like some people are risk takers and they take risk in everything. Uh, no, they were just risk taker in that in that in that domain. Really interested. This next question is is something I think a lot of people will potentially not have heard about. Um, so previously you've spoken about constructing a portfolio of factors based purely on human capital. So the first question is going to be what is human capital, and then how could one construct a portfolio? based or factors on that yeah so uh, my my uh, statement from this that I, I brought from somebody else is that uh, human capital is an accounting mistake uh, that in reality you want all ca- companies to report human capital on their balance sheet and it's kind of a shame that companies don't do it if you think about it right a company buys a warehouse it's an investment a company invests in human capital it's a cost and so I, I'm hoping that one day we'll, we'll take human capital and get companies to invest it. But think about the company. Companies like a machine, an engine, uh, that all kinds of things happen and improvement uh, come out. When, when does this machine work better? Human capital. When does it work worse? Human capital. And, and of course, all CEOs say, oh, my people is the best thing I have, the most important asset. The problems are two. One is they don't all act this way. They just say it. And then the second thing is they don't all know what to do. It's not that companies... I don't think that companies are necessarily against their employees, but they don't all understand what it is um, that they need to do to to improve motivation. So what we have been doing over the last six years is we have been collecting data. How companies treat their employees, how the employees feel about the company, and what is the implication of that in terms of their stock market return, yeah. alpha? And, um, and what, what we did was we created lots of dimensions. So what's a dimension? A dimension could be how good is the coffee quality? How good are the tables, chairs, salary? Imagine, imagine each dimension. Yeah. And, and the first thing we started was to say, imagine it was 2006 when we had our first data. And we sorted the companies from the top company to the bottom company on how they treat their employees, let's say, on coffee quality. And we bought the top 20% of companies who treat their employees best in terms of coffee quality. And we kept that portfolio. And every year we got new data. Maybe one company went up and one company went down. But we had a portfolio of the companies who treat their employees best on coffee quality, tables, chairs, salary, retirement benefit, and so on. It turns out that many of those stupid measurements outperformed the S&P 500. Now, some of them performing by very little, some of them performing by very much. Which are the ones that perform, outperform it a lot? So let me ask you, are you ready for a little quiz? I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Is salary a good predictor of alpha, stock market returns? Um, I'm going to go for more yes than no, but not like 100%. Yeah, so so very little effect, very little effect. On the other hand, fairness in salary matters a great deal. 
Uh, what about retirement benefit and health benefit? These are all American companies. Big yeah. deal or not a big deal? Yeah, I, I would say a lot bigger deal than the first question or not. Yeah, not a big deal. Uh, quality of tables, chairs, also not a big deal. In general, we found that everything that we call extrinsic motivation doesn't matter so much. Salary, bonuses, tables, chairs, retirement benefit, health benefit don't matter so much. What are the things that do matter? Number one factor was feeling appreciated. Psychological safety was very important. But wait, low bureaucratic load uh, was incredibly important. Alignment with the goals of the company. In general, if you think about extrinsic motivation, things that come from the outside, salary, bonuses, and so on, and intrinsic motivation, my desire to work hard, uh, the intrinsic motivation is the only thing we found was um, access uh, prediction of, of alpha. Uh, by the way, JP Morgan, the, their quant group, uh, wrote three, three papers already on our, on our data, all uh, showing how important human capital is and also showing it's a separate factor. It's not momentum and it's not, you know, yeah. uh, whatever value. <clears throat> it's, a separate, it's a separate factor and an important factor. So, so, so now the question is, you know, uh, but, but how do we, uh, what's the right way to, to quantify it? Mm -hmm. So we, we have data from all kinds of private sources and public sources, Glassdoor, think about it, and we, and we combine it and we score, and we, we score, we score companies. So, uh, uh, so far, uh, the only thing we've done with those, with those scores is we, we gave them to a company called uh, Harbor Capital, and they created an ETF um, with with those companies, uh, an ETF that that actually two of them, both of them are called Happy, but one AJPI and one is AJPY. And but 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 the important thing is that you know here is this important element of success: human capital. You know how do we take that into account? Now, the interesting thing is that some of human capital issues would show up immediately, especially on the downside. Uh, think about companies that uh, all of a sudden have, you know, whatever. Uh, think about Twitter and Elon Musk. Yeah. Right. What what happens to employee motivation? Right. That's a, that's a, a negative <laughs> negative CEO shock probably has a short term effect. Of course, of course, improvements take longer. Right, it's not as if you have uh, a new CEO that comes to a company and creating a better culture and people are more motivated. It's not as if performance will increase tomorrow. It takes time. It takes time for procedures to get better. It takes time for new innovation and so on. So, so human human motivation on the on the downside can happen very fast, but on the upside, we need a bit of patience. So, if you look at companies and you track them on Glassdoor and LinkedIn and so on, and you see a, something that you think, oh, or a new CEO is hired, and you, you say, oh, this CEO is not just worried; uh, is he's actually concerned with uh, with human capital. Here is uh, something that they've done to for pay equality. Here is something they've done to to get people to feel better, and so on. Like a good, there's a good chance that those things will will pay off in the long term, but it's not it's not a quick it's not a quick reaction 
I, I wonder if you have many sports teams, and I'm, I'm a big fan of Arsenal Football Club, and we've gone through a period of 15 years where it's been really, really hard to be a fan. We've not done that well, but we've now got in a new manager, new management, and I wonder if they and other clubs are, are starting to reward their players and stuff a lot more intrinsically, and, and the difference that that has, because you hear a lot in sport, the, the greatest managers are really, really good man managers, aren't they? And I know I'm just talking about male sport there, but being able to actually deal with people, you know, do you think that is almost as important as the tactical side and all of that kind of thing? Very much. Mm. Look, um, think about the following, and, and let's not do sports because I, you know, but but we'll come back to sports. Um, think about your current performance at the workplace as a hundred. Yeah. Okay. And now, uh, don't answer this. Just think to yourself. How much lower can you get from 100 and still not get fired? <laughs> okay, so, you know, what, what is the gap? And then think about how much you can get up from 100 and if you wanted to. Yeah. That, that gap between the minimum you need to do not to get fired and the max you could do if you were truly excited, that's well-being. That's up to you. That's up to you. It's very hard to contract on that. Because this is kind of the internal fire that is working within you. Very hard to, to figure it out. And it's all up to you. If you care about what you do, if your identity is tied to it, right? Performance will go up a lot and it especially it will not go down. And, and that's individual performance. We haven't yet talked about group performance. You know, in terms of group performance, there's a ton of things that are not in our job description. Uh, think about a, a janitor in hospital. And imagine that that janitor in hospital one day walks around and he hears a, he sees a family lost in the corridors. Yeah. Uh, should the janitor help them? The answer is, of course. Uh, is it in his job description? Of course not. Uh, one day that janitor hears a patient crying or a patient fell out of bed. Should he call somebody or help them? Of course is it in the job description? Of course not. <laughs> you know, one of the best things that schools do to improve quality of education is to give the good teachers time to teach the not so good teachers. Mm. Is it in the job description? Of course not. The reality is that in almost every job, we want people to go outside of their job description. We want people to look around and say, where else can I help? Maybe it's not in my job description. If the janitor now takes time to help a family, they're actually creating more work for themselves, right? Because they'll they'll need to go back and do what's in the job description. If a teacher now helps somebody else, what are the conditions under which people feel more goodwill? What are the conditions under which people look around to see where else they can help? And if you think about sports, Sports is a very good example of something. You need both of those. You need somebody to push themselves really a lot, right? To beyond the point that they think it's really tough, right? To a higher degree than most of us at, at, at our jobs. But then you also have lots of things that are not in the job description. Uh, who, who, who on your team do you help? Uh, how are you looking around? Uh, do you say thank you? Do you give advice? Um, team Teams are incredibly fragile. Uh, some, some negative behavior can, can really decrease participation, satisfaction, help. So 
um, that's incredibly important. So, so I, you know, I haven't looked at sports team, uh, but I think that kind of this analysis would be incredibly important for them. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and if my boss is, is listening to us, I'm always, always working at 100 and I never go below there. Um, in, in, <laughs> uh, right. Nobody in, has, could, could, could work harder, yeah. Yeah, exactly. In in uh, 2022, investors, they witnessed quite a big rise in volatility. Markets obviously came under, or most markets, I should say, came under a fair bit of pressure. And many of our listeners who are tuning into this or watching it or, or whatever will uh, love to know what's happening to them during those times. How are they feeling? What's the, uh, you know, sort of the emotional roller coaster of that and, and, and what they can do to, to deal with it? So look, it's really, really tough because if you if you start the day by looking at your portfolio and uncertainty uh, is is very unpleasant. It's very unpleasant, and you know uncertainty creates a lot of pressure to see patterns and find villains and tell stories. Um, but my guess is that somebody who, who opens their portfolio gets a sense of the uncertainty in the world, uh, is carrying for the rest of the day a, a slight negative feeling, no matter where they go. It's just a nagging feeling that stays with us about, I don't know what's going on here, very confusing, very unpleasant, and, and, and so on. So, so there, is, there is something, we, we don't react well to uncertainty, we we love to mm-hmm. to be in control. We love to feel we understand uh, what's going on. And uncertainty is tough for all of us. Uh, and then, of course, the other thing we try to do is we try to tell ourselves a story about what what we think happened. How did this happen? You know, often these stories are not correct, but but we have those stories. And you know, I wish I had good advice for volatility, but my my main advice is when the markets are volatile and you're not really going to make uh, decisions, just don't look. Just don't look because, you know, you should look when you want to to make new decisions. But if you're not going to make new decisions, uh, it's it. by the way, in the sporting event, we enjoyed volatility, <laughs> right? A sporting event where where your team uh, wins in the beginning, is ahead by 10 points, and they just keep on being ahead by 10 points, is not an interesting game. In a game, we enjoy volatility. We enjoy ups and downs, uh, the winner switches and so on. Not true for our finances. Uh, so so period of high volatility, uh, make decisions, write them down, try to follow them down as if it's a script. Like say, if the market goes below X, if this goes below Y, try not to change your, your decision and try not to look more than uh, what you need to actually make good decisions. Yeah, I mean, one, don't, one way, don't look for fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one way, I guess, to take away that emotion would be, an, or, or potentially the people would be using an automated trading strategy. And I know a few people that had to create ones for themselves because when they actually traded off of their own decisions, they just couldn't, you know, get out of trades or they held trades too long, whatever. So assuming this system works, 
you know, and we're saying some say that yeah. helps to take away that psychological aspect of the trading or investing. You've also spoken about yeah, AI. That's, Go, sorry. That's right. But this this is very important. This idea of creating our own algorithm when we're in a cold state and then trying to convince our hot state not to deviate from that, right? Because you can say, oh, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to sell anything um, if the market goes down by 10%. And if the market will go down by 20%, I'll buy. Yeah. Right. Let's say you say that. And then the market goes down by 20%. And if you didn't write it down and you're not committed to it, the odds are that you will panic and sell. Do exactly the, the, the wrong behavior. So creating a strategy in a cold state and trying to maximize the odds that you will act on it when the time comes is, is very important. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember seeing a few years ago when the market was stopped, it was just got grinding higher year after year. There was a lot of people would say uh, in when it came to the, the, the stock market crashed during the pandemic, a lot of people wanted a 20% dip to get in. Now the 20% dip is here. <laughs> you don't want it. And it's so funny looking back at that. Um, quickly on, on, yeah. on AI and in finance, I know you've spoken a little bit about this recently. Do, do you see that just becoming ever more present? Um, or is it a worry? does it worry you? I know some people are glass half empty, some are glass half full. How, how are you seeing it? Look, I think every innovation, um, sadly... Uh, not every innovation, let me say it differently. Lots of innovations have their early days overloaded by bad behaviors. You know, it's just the nature of things, right? When, uh, when the U.S. mail came out, mail fraud became an issue. Uh, social media came out, it had a little bit of a good period. Then we realized how much fake news <laughs> and hate is created in these, in these platforms. Um, my guess is AI is going to be similar. My guess is that the initial utilization is going to be mostly bad. Not all, but it'll be, it'll be like big bad things that will happen. Um, but then I think we will catch ourselves and, and regulate it and think about it better. And in the long term, it will be good. But, but in the short term, they'll, uh, I don't know where, where the attacks will come. But I think in the, in the short term, there'll be some uh, utilization for bad. Yeah, I saw someone did a tweet. I think it was last week where they asked ChatGPT or what or an alternative. Do you think these AI models should actually be allowed? And they and ChatGPT wrote a massive answer basically saying no, which I thought was quite, quite interesting. Um, but speaking of tweets, I actually saw yeah. one, one from you not long ago. And uh, it was this. The probability of getting kicked by a horse in the head is very, very low. But if you spend enough time cleaning horses' feet, the probability goes up by a lot. And when I read that, I immediately <laughs> thought of an investing example of, you know, losing all your money in one trade is unlikely. But if you, can, if you constantly risk too much or over leverage or trade without yeah. a stop loss, it's going to happen eventually. Am I on the, the right track there? What was the thinking behind the tweet? So, so I was actually thinking about the good side of life, not the bad side of life. And, and uh, my thought, even though it was a kick in the head, but what, what I was thinking is to say, you know, the odds of falling deeply in love, 
the odds of finding a job uh, you really love, the odds is, is, you know, if you sit at home, uh, the odds are not very high. You have to uh, participate to to be there. But of course, it's also true on the negative side. Mm. Uh, but, but I, you know, I, if if you ask me what people don't do enough, <clears throat> I think people are not courageous enough in doing uh, big life changes that could be really good for them. Uh, could could be costly, right? There's a risk uh, involved, but uh, I wish people were more um, experimental and adventurous in, in trying things in their lives. So so I, I intended, but of course you're right on the. In, in your interpretation as well. Yeah, I mean, one the principle favorite, is correct. One of my favorite sayings is to be like a turtle and stick your neck out there. And I think that is so true, you know, when it comes to life and making yeah. those decisions. And with investing and trading, unless you, you do it and you, you get involved, you're not going to find out whether it is for you, whether crypto is for you, yeah. whether, you know, trading in certain conditions is for you and and, and so on. Um yeah, I, I think that's. Uh, I mean, I definitely yeah. read that tweet wrong, but uh, yeah, it's good to know that there is another meaning to <laughs> no, it. No, 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 you, you read it right. I just, I just, I just, it, it's true on both the upside and the downside. I hope you'll also read it now with the focus on the upside. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, last kind of question. We've we touched upon this throughout, um, and you know, many of your points have said about staying away from your portfolio. Uh, my question is regarding the sort of day trading strategy of things, which forces the investor to constantly, I guess, check their balance, check their charts and their portfolio regularly. So there are many critics, of course, of day trading stats and the probability of people succeeding is is low, uh, that it's not going to work out for the long term. What are your thoughts about it? And are there any tools that you would maybe help where you would see that could offer help to these people? So look, I, I think that day trading are playing not on the stock market, they're playing against human psychology. <clears throat> so so if we said, okay, you know, bubbles are very part of human nature, and, you know, there are very few things that are happening and saying, oh, you know, IBM is going to announce this and uh, the expectation is that and I have some extra insight about what will happen because I, you know, read some papers and I have extra information so I can predict it better. That's usually not the case. Uh, Usually what happened with the day trader is um, they're betting the opposite of human psychology, right? You're saying people are going to go crazy with this particular news. They're going to get overexcited with this and I can bet against it. Or people are not going to react to this and, and so on. So, so I think day traders are really not, they're really betting against human psychology. I mean, the direction is that, that human psychology is going to make mistakes and they're betting uh, against it. So um, I think they just need to be, study a bit more psychology and uh, be clear uh, about what it is, that they, what psychology are they trying to bet against. Yeah. And, and, and just on, and I guess it's the same for trading and investing. A common mistake, just to, just to wrap up here, is that people don't take losing investments off where they originally planned or they risk too much or they let it run, whatever. But what, what happens when we don't yeah. see the downside of our own bad behavior? Is it just a non-ending cycle of, of, of sort of negativity? Yeah. So, so you know, the, the, we, 
investing is both money and quality of life because you know when when you make uh, when we make a bad decisions when i made a bad decision that decision just stays with us for a very long time and you know if you made two decisions one bad one good and let's say the good was better than the bad was worse like you know the expect the, the total was positive you still we still can't help by saying ah why did i do that i should have waited another day i mean the counterfactuals are very very uh, very clear to us and and we have to somehow clear that up and we can't we can't just uh, keep on crying on every mistake and saying oh i, I should have done that um I, I will say one more big exercise one one other interesting exercise Okay, so let me ask you. So imagine that I went into your portfolio tonight and I sold everything. <laughs> and tomorrow morning you got in and everything was in cash. And I say, what positions do you want to get into today? Uh, to what extent would your portfolio tomorrow be different than the one you had yesterday? Quite and not. if you say, oh, no, no, I will return to exactly the portfolio I had, that means that that portfolio reflected perfectly your current preferences. But if you say, oh, you know what? If everything was sold, I'm not sure I would buy back into my positions. It means that some of the things that you have now in your portfolio are not because of real desire to have those positions. It's just because of historical precedents. Now, if you know, if something is very small deviation, say, oh, I would go at 80 and a half, but not at 80, not a big deal. But if there are big issues now, I think that doing this exercise for real is a bit too painful <laughs> and time consuming and so on. But but we could do a version of it. And, and what do I mean by a version? Which I just say, imagine I just sold your portfolio. And now sit, don't look at your portfolio currently, but just sit and now think what you want your portfolio to be. And after you wrote down what you want your portfolio to be, now let's look at the difference between your current portfolio and this uh, new construction. And if there are big differences, let's let's correct something. Now, it's an expensive exercise. It takes a lot of time and thought and effort and so on. But, but once in a while, it's very important. And it, it really helps with the problem you created, which is if you bought a stock and the stock went down in value, uh, often people just say too long with that because you say, oh, I bought it at 100. It's at 50 now. I really hate selling it. I really hate selling it because I would feel, ah, oh, I've lost. But but the moment you start fresh and you say, if I was just now investing, would I buy that stock? Right. That gives you a position of thinking moving forward and not moving backward. So, so this idea of saying, what would I do if this was everything is in cash, I would just invest, is freeing you from, from the past decision. So that there'll be less influence of past decision on current decision. And you, you're starting from, from fresh. Usually a very good strategy. Yeah, I have to say, just my mind has been racing there about my own portfolio. And I think that's such a good exercise. I really, really do. And one that I will be mentioning to people i think that's really really important and it'd be really interesting to actually speak to people just if, in the office to see what they think yeah by the way you can also do it with your relationship <laughs> yeah. i don't know are you, are you married no not at the moment okay so so imagine you're married <laughs> and it's been 10 years <laughs> and you say if i if i met this person today uh, <laughs> anyway that's a little dangerous 
Yeah, no, that is that is. Uh, but on, on that that note, Dan, we'll we'll wrap it up for today. But it's been amazing to have you on, and I'm so sure our listeners will have taken so much from that. So, Dan, thank you very much. My pleasure. Happy to participate. You have been listening to Digest and Invest by eToro. For more information, use eToro.com. 